This is Rennie Knopf with ChampionshipBBQ.TV, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. Oh, hey, I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. So glad you could join me if you want to jump in on the show tonight. A little different phone number this week because the new numbers and the crapper again. 216-220-0966, your standard hotline number again. 216-220-0966. You can also email the show if you would rather do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at bbqcentralshow. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the newsletter coming up in about 12 minutes from now. A guest who, as I have looked back through thoughts and people who I would like to have on the show and then actually trying to get some type of ball rolling in that direction. So this is an interview as I scan back to first connections and there have been a couple different connections to make this happen. Months in the making and somebody who I have, I don't know if looked up to is the right word, but certainly somebody that I have admired largely in this industry, especially in his specific niche, which is meat purveying, widely considered to be the meat personality and the meat authority when it comes to purveying fine meats. I am, of course, talking about CEO of LaFrida Meat Purveyors, Pat LaFrida, joining me for the first time right here on this show. And I think Pat has a unique story to tell, and if you don't know about Pat, you're kind of living under a rock, especially recently with his explosion on social media and YouTube and his interest in a certain type of cooker that we'll be talking about as well in the second portion of our interview. But he has a unique story of what is it like growing up in a family business? Is it something that you always wanted to get into? What did you try outside of the family business? And then... Once you got in full circle, what were your goals and what were your motivating factors? You always hear about the first generation of the family opening up the business, doing all the hard work, getting customers, customer service, all that stuff. Then maybe they have a kid and that kid gets into the business. Second generation 
has a tendency to run that ship into the ground or into the iceberg. And if it's not the second generation, typically third generation, if they take over, they're definitely plowing it into their, or at least the percentages are very high that third generation somehow finds a way to take that business down like the Hindenburg. So against all odds, Lafrida has continued to flourish within the industry and continues to grow both from a retail perspective and from a supplying perspective on the business end. So very excited to talk to Pat about a number of things. We'll hold him not only for 914, but he will also extend into the 935 segment where we will spend the majority of time talking about a auto wild cooker. And if you're not familiar with this one, definitely check it out before we get Pat on so you can form your own opinions. Uh, Auto Wild, O-T-T-O-W-I-L-D-E. High heat, mega high heat, stainless steel, German, probably something that rivals up against that uh, thing that I saw at NBBQA called the beef or the beef eater or the beef eater or beefier beef, whatever it is, something along those lines. I think that one's also German engineered. So in the second portion of our conversation, we'll be talking about the Out of Wild Cooker that I believe, and Pat will confirm, that he is the exclusive North American dealer for or distributor. So very excited to get caught up with Pat. I don't not even get caught up. Speak with him for the first time. Then the next time, we'll get re-caught up. Re-caught up. Second hour, we come to find the fourth Tuesday of the month, and that, of course, means the refiring of what has grown to be one of the more popular recurring segments here on this show. That, of course, is the embedded correspondence segment for any number of reasons, not the least of which is the three individual personalities that join me, Steve Ray from Oodlewa, Tennessee, Doug Scheiding from Texas, uh, Bilverde, Texas, I believe is how they say it, and uh, David Huff from Oklahoma, I don't know where in Oklahoma, David. I'm sorry. Is it? Uh, well, let's name all the cities in Oklahoma that I know. Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Miami, and I said that right, by the way, and Chandler, home of David Bosca, barbecued legend. And just like that, I'm fresh out of cities in Oklahoma, but I bet that's more than you can name in Ohio. So the embedded correspondence segment will be refiring again and... Just to give you a teaser, we will be quickly going over what has to be termed as a summation of this project that we have been working on for the last two months, which I hypothesized as the purposeful undercooking of steak across America and potentially the world. And we've done our due diligence. I, of course... Issued this challenge to my embedded correspondence two months ago, and I did not do my own homework the first time around, but I did it this time around. Visited two segment restaurants, one high-end, one mega high-end. So I have some feedback here, and I think you'll be very interested in what ends up being our conclusions. So I'm very excited to unveil that and kind of wrap up that project with a bow and put it to bed. Then we'll also talk about a very special day for the embedded correspondence segment. Some of you jumping in on the instant chat talking about cakes and so forth. I'll leave a teaser about that. No, I will not be eating cake on the air. I will not do that. 
Now, so uh, stay tuned for the second hour. That's all I got to say about that. Embedded correspondence segment. We'll get into some other stuff too. Are you following me on social media? Please do this, whether you're doing it live with me right now or in podcast fashion at your convenience. You know I'm doing social stuff. I've gotten really into doing more social stuff, especially on Instagram. So if you just signed up for an Insta, give me the follow. I'm totally worth it. My feed is awesome. With the help of Stover Harger the th- Harger Harger the Third. Sorry, Stover. He's a, a wizard at social media. Has been helping me find my way. I know it's important, but I'm not good at it. I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I focus what I'm good at. At BBQ Central Show, all one word. At BBQ Central Show on Instagram, also on the Twitter. At BBQ Central Show Facebook, of course. If you're watching here on this live video on Facebook, you know where I'm at. But it's slash BBQ Central Show. Snapchat, well. I'm currently snappy snapping on the snappy chat, which is a direct violation of rule number five of the show, and I'm guilty. I am guilty. But I don't know if I'm going to snappy snap on this, if I'm going to keep snappy snapping on the Snapchat. I don't want to snappy snap on it, but I'm not really into that right now. But Instagram, Twitter, at BBQ Central Show, get me there. Come on, you know you're going to love it. At BBQ Central Show or on Facebook slash BBQ Central Show. See, here's what we got going here. Here's what we got. Uh, I read yesterday on Facebook. Let me just leave you with this, and I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh Barbecue legend Gary Rourke, Ubon's Barbecue, passed away yesterday. Certainly no shortage of thoughts and well wishes and remembrances on social media as far as that is concerned. And from all accounts, a true gentleman, an incredible representative for barbecue as a whole, a bigger-than-life barbecue personality. And I'm certainly remiss in the fact that I never had him on the show. So to uh, Leslie, who has been on the show, and everyone else in the Ubon's family, Thoughts are definitely with you guys. There will be Bloody Marys lifted over the next handful of days and weeks, as I'm sure everyone takes time to remember Gary for sure. So, Gary, uh, thanks so much for everything that you did for the land and world and business of barbecue. You will be missed. Pat LaFrieda coming up out of the break. I'm going to talk to you quickly about the barbecue guru. You know, they've always believed that outdoor cooking should be easy because it can be, especially with the Monolith Barbecue Guru Edition Grill. The Monolith is the world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature control. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature. Let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or barbecue pitmaster with minimal effort. You can now... Do all this barbecue and grilling stuff and have everything happen just like you have a sous chef or a barbecue pit master hanging just right to the left of you. You can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time. You hit up their website, bbqguru.com. And if you have any questions, what do I always tell you? If you have any questions, you give them a call, 800-288-GURU. That's 800 800- 
288-GURU and make sure that you ask them all your questions. In turn, they'll make sure that you are outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. By the way, Bob Trudnack, Tuffy Stone, Mo Kaysan, Jim Elzer, Michael McDearman, we know him here as McDee, all on some grand European barbecue class and take-in and demonstration, trying to get Bob and uh, perhaps some of those other guys in a round table to recap that and see where the state of barbecue is across the globe, not only here domestically, we know it's very popular here, but Bob will be able to give us some feedback on what it's like going to the Netherlands, no less. All right, when we come back, we got Pat LaFrieda. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, grilling oils, all of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the competition circuit as well as in backyards worldwide. Be the pit master of your neighborhood. Visit ButcherBBQ.com. Stock up now. Always trust your butcher. All right, my guest in the first hour, someone whom I have followed and uh, revered, I guess, for years. And did I think he would be a great guest? Of course! Unparalleled when it comes to the butchering and meat-purveying portion of the industry, but didn't think I could just reach out and connect. Well, sometimes all you have to do is take the direct route and make the ask, and guess what? It worked. He just might be the busiest butcher in the biz right now, but he's taking time from his busy schedule to visit with us here right on the Really Big Barbecue Show. So let's head on over to Trigger Grill's hotline and welcome Pat LaFrieda. Pat, how are you, buddy? Thank you, Greg. Uh, Pat, first of all, appreciate you making time for the show here this evening and... Uh, well, this could probably take up the whole first hour. If we could take a quick trip back, when did Lafrida's originally start, and what was your first exposure to the business as a youth? Well, Greg, um, let me tell you. First of all, it's an honor to be on your show. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm a, just as much of a fan of yours as, as you are of mine. Um, but in my family, so... This business has been a family business for three generations, really four generations. Um, and that's because my great-grandfather came here in 1906, and uh, we were able to track the the, um, the Ellis Island r- reports of his signature uh, entering the country as a butcher. And he had five sons and two daughters. All five sons were butchers. One of them was my grandfather, who was born on St. Patty's Day. And that's how he became named Patrick. He had a son named Patrick, which is my dad, uh, who had a son named Patrick, which is myself. Hmm. Um, and I have a son named Patrick, although he's only 13. 
he's uh, <laughs> that 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 family lifeline uh, really started from Naples, Italy, uh, all the way to to New York City. Um, my although there were the five sons were all butchers, they were retail butchers. And it was my grandfather in 1922 that began to sell with his older brother to restaurants. And that's the crossover. So if we say, okay, when's the, what's the birth date of your company? It's well before 1922, but it, we, in 1922 is when they, they branched off from working for retailers and the retailer back then was a company called Bohack. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're no longer in business. But the uh, Bohack was was the Sears and Roba and the Macy's, and now would would now today be the I guess the Amazon. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So uh, they left there and they began to sell to restaurants during a strike. So when there was a meat strike the independents were able to infiltrate into the, into the uh, meat supply chain and actually travel to, to farms upstate New York and in New Jersey and bring meat back to restaurants because all meat came from the 14th Street meat market if you were a restaurant in New York City. Mm. And if you closed that down, uh, you know, it was, it was fish, fish, and vegetables uh, in restaurants until the strike was over. And um, it was during one of those um, bits of arbitrage where were they able to infiltrate into the industry. But my first memory of the meat business was in, in lessons that my dad tried to teach me. And it wasn't work ethic as much as it was fear. If you don't <laughs> study... You're going to wind up working for the family business in 35 degree temperatures at odd hours of the night, and it's cold, and the men are nasty. And I say men because then it was only men. Yep. Um, and it's just a rough, tough environment to do only one thing, which was to rub pennies together, was the expression meaning there wasn't much money to be made even after the excruciating environment. But it had the opposite effect on me. I loved this business. I just, I, I, I was a kid. Imagine just being 10 years old and cutting meat next to your father and grandfather <laughs> uh, at the table at 3 or 4 a.m. It was just something that most 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-olds never, ever <laughs> spilled to now. I mean, they'll never get to see that. Um, and for a while, I was bringing my son in, and just things became too dangerous, too fast, too heavy, forklifts and bandsaws and um, the dangers of it. Um, I, 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 he, he, but he got a good taste of what it's like. Um, and, and, and it's something that that I don't, I send him for great education like my dad did. My dad was all about education. Um, and I took that education and initially went to the stock market and became a broker. And I thought that was a very noble 
and great job that my dad would be very proud of, which he was, and I hated it. Um, my son, I think he got a little twinkle in his eye also of, 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 I mean, there's something to seeing what's behind the scenes. All we see as consumers of the restaurants or the retail butcher shop where you have the finished product, but where's yeah. all that coming from? Where are the, the uh, hanging animals, you know, where are the animals? You know, where, 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 where does this meat come from? And to me, it was always very exciting. Hey Pat, and, I don't want to uh, I don't want to interrupt you here real quick, but you know you were saying as you were cutting meat next to your dad and next to your grandfather and how exciting and kind of molding that was for you. Did your dad feel the same way? Did he enjoy cutting meat next to his dad and next to his son, or would he have rather found a different trade or, or another way to make money? But this is kind of what he was forged to do. No, he loved sell. No, no, no. He loved the business. And my father, to this day, at seventy-two years old, still comes in at. 3 a.m. in the morning, and he always worked at 3 a.m. In a few hours from now, he'll be here at 3 a.m., um, and when I hear his voice, I'm always like, damn it, we, uh, because in my business, you want the clock to go the other way. Right. Restaurants want them to meet early, and you're trying to get the trucks out, and like, he's a 3 a.m. bell. Hey, let's get going. We need to get the meat out. Um, so as we speak right now, all my entire crew is getting meat uh, prepared, cut, butchered, portioned, vacuum packed uh, for tomorrow's deliveries. So that's how I transformed the business. But did my dad like the idea? Yeah, he liked the idea of watching my my grandfather and I and seeing three generations there. Um, but he did not know how much I liked it. Mm. He was teaching me work ethic, which... Um, just, I always knew my dad worked hard. I, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's a family business. So there's no, there's no such thing as a weekend. There's no such thing as clocking out. Um, we often made deliveries to restaurants to, that forgot their meat order. Um, that we were making those deliveries on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, it was just part of part of life i didn't know anything anything other than that life so um being needed and you know being very crucial to the supply of a restaurant and its success is what really drew me into into the business pat LaFrieda. i didn't feel that in the stock market pat lafrida joining me here on the show the website lafrida.com uh, you can follow pat on instagram as well well worth a follow at pat lafrida you know Pat, it's not exactly a parallel comparison here, but you know, as I'm doing some research on you, and I'm kind of drawn to a similar or how similar your story is to another guy that I follow on uh, social media, who I'm a uh, pretty big fan of, Gary Vaynerchuk from uh, from business oh, perspective. Yeah, sure, you know, sure. Someone who Love goes Gary. into the family business, has a vision of where he wants to take the company, sets forth executing the plan. When you come back, you you leave, you graduate from college, you do the stint in the stock market. And then you come back, Pat, into the, the butcher business. Did you have specific goals at that point from where you wanted to take the company to, or were you just happy mixing back in at that point and trying to figure it out from there? <laughs> no goals, except for one, which was to get bigger. And when you get bigger, everything else falls into place. And it's often that people ask me, okay, what's, what's your five-year plan? 
the same as it was five years ago. <laughs> it's to get bigger and stronger. And for for me, it's about if if the family business died, that means the family died. And back to the Italian American culture, uh, you know, our last name really was Lofredo. It's the American school teachers changed my grandfather's name to Lafrida to sound more American. And it sounds very strange these days, but then it was very common practice uh, for names to be changed. And, and there were, the immigrants did not complain. Right. They were so happy to have a new opportunity uh, in another land, and they would do anything to be American. So, um, you know, to, to, for the, and, you know, many meat companies did not survive. So you had to have, and this goes back, back to my dad, you had to have an education. You had to have to have, you had to have marketing skills. You had to be able to communicate and you had to be be able to see and have a vision for what the company should be. And when I first entered the market, this, the uh, meat market, um, and in 1995, 94, 95, um, it was a very nasty place. Mm. If you were a restaurateur, uh, it was not fun to have to get meat. Um, meat, meat purveyors did not have any flexibility. If you had forgotten to place your order, you could forget about getting it. Mm. Um, and I just right away, my, and something my dad taught me was customer service. It sounds so simple, right? Customer service. But, but there's a certain part of the day where, where at the time, meat purveyors would just shut the door, shut the phones off, mm. shut the lights. I remember a restaurateur, um, Gino Mashi from Il Molino Restaurant on West 3rd, the original owner telling me, and that's how we got him as a customer, that he didn't like a loin of veal that he got. He had been delivered, a rack of veal, sorry. Yep. And he actually drove down to the meat company on 14th Street, and he saw the, the owners hiding behind the, the, uh, the wall <laughs> behind the window until he left because wow. they didn't want to deal with it. It was Friday afternoon, and it was the time, it was the weekend, and that was it. So, that mentality had to end, and it, 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 I did it with cu- with customer service. And and I say this to to every entrepreneur in any business, whether it be a restaurant, whether it be um, a purveyor of, of of any kind, or even the tech companies. What is most important to me, especially if someone's to bid out, even even my network here for for all of all of my my data and all of my tech stuff for, for my network service. Like I need accessibility. I need to be able to get to the right people that can make the make the the changes that will get me through my night so my customers can get their meat. Mm. Uh, without accessibility, you have nothing. So someone may be less expensive. But what does it matter if you can't get them? when you need them. So our invoices to this day have my personal cell phone number that I'm talking to you on, um, on them with my dad's home number 
and my cousin's personal cell phone number. I think every year my cousin begs me to get <laughs> yeah, right. his phone number off. <laughs> but but he, like being able to get us on a Saturday afternoon if you're a restaurant in the Hamptons in the summer um, and you have a major problem in which you forgot to place an order or Oof. an order came in incorrectly, we're able to make the calls to get the product to the customer. And, you know, we sell meat and we sell it service. So if you can't provide both, you know, you, you're only 50% as good as, as you had hoped. And, um, and, and I just took that to a different level. Whereas my dad starts at 3 a.m. Out of respect, I, <laughs> in order to get bigger, I knew we needed to start earlier. And to the point where we're 24 hours a day, six days a week, wow. but out of respect, never asked my dad to change his hours. So he still comes <laughs> at 3 a.m. And um, we did what most com- most meat companies didn't ever want to do because of the overtime, which was to open on sa- on Friday night into Saturday delivery. Saturday it is... You know, a restaurant's busiest day, the busiest night in New York City. So not to deliver to restaurants on Saturdays was ludicrous. And when I first started, the idea to deliver to restaurants on Saturdays was just, like, mind-blowing. It seemed so simple, but, you know, nobody wanted to deal with it. So were restaurants trained to try and guesstimate what was going to get them through the weekend, and if they ran out halfway through a Saturday service, that was it through Sunday then? Right. And wow. think about when they needed to do that. They needed to do that on Thursday. Right. Thursday night, they needed to place their order for Friday for the weekend. Hmm. So that was very difficult. And especially in New York City, where logistically it's impossible to do any kind of volume without you know, having a master's degree in logistics. Because you, there's no space. So where do you store any kind of... Um, raw material you, you know there's no refrigerator space um that's one of the reasons so we were in new york city for 95 years um eight years ago nine no nine years ago now i moved us to the other side of the river river which we now call the sixth borough of, of new york <laughs> which is bergen county new jersey it's right through the lincoln tunnel so we needed more space to expand i mean we just we could not process meat in New York City, there's just no space. And every time there was a brownout or a blackout, every restaurant would get gather their meat, fish, bolt, uh, vegetables, and produce, and drive them down to my place and store them in my refrigerators until uh, their power came back on. Pat, this show is known for being create, uh, courageous to a degree, uh, if you ask uh, Daniel Vaughn, the barbecue snob, he could vouch for that. And I think you fit that mold given the tagline that can be found on some of the aprons and hashtags that I see you throwing out there, which is eat my meat. And I don't <laughs> know if other folks in your position would be as willing to run that out there. Did that get tossed around yeah. in private before you guys decide to go ahead with that? Or did it just make good marketing sense? Everybody bought in and away you go with it. You know what's great about <laughs> I love that question. You know what's great about that question is that <laughs> it's the first thing I had to 
change when I got here uh, was take the eat my meat off all the trucks. All the trucks <laughs> on the back said, Pat Lipford says eat my meat. So I argued with my dad. I'm like, Dad, you know, times are changing and you can't really say things like that anymore. And he's like, Pat, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I had a complaint from the Marriott Marquis. The purchasing agent is a female, and she thought it was offensive. And he <laughs> says, well, I'm offended. I'm like, why is that? He's like, I'm just asking her to eat my meat, and she's got sexual connotations in her mind. <laughs> and I, and <laughs> Dad, stop. Stop. I took it off all the trucks. And... So I took it off the T-shirts. I took it off aprons, hats, and I got such a pushback from the community. Mm. Everyone asked, where is the eat my meat? I want the eat my meat T-shirt. I want the eat my meat hat. So I had to bring it back for apparel and such. Mm. But when, uh, when, um, as far as like on the building or on the trucks, you know, it's something that, that just, we, we, it could not be. So uh, it, it's funny how, you know, it, it, it's something that from the 70s that my dad had <laughs> started to put on T-shirts, being a butcher in the West Village, um, <laughs> and the, 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 the demand that, that, uh, that just, the general public had for eat my meat apparel is hysterical. We, we sell and give away hundreds of, of, of shirts and hats a week um, that from requests of, 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 of uh, eat my meat. I have restaurants that we sell to that I walk into the kitchen <laughs> to say hello. And everyone's got an eat my meat hat or t-shirt on. It's hilarious. Pat two is the create uh, is the courageous one, and then uh, we de courageous, and then we brought back courageous, <laughs> all like in uh, all in the same time. So that's a, that's a great story. Um, Pat, can I hold you over real quick, and then we can talk a little bit more about meat and the Auto Wild Grill? All right, stand by. We're talking with Pat Lafrida from Lafrida Meats, and you can check him out at lafrida.com. That's L A F R I E D A. Frida.com. And uh, don't forget, not just businesses anymore. You can also go home delivery. We'll talk a little bit about that, too, when we come back. I'm going to talk to you quickly about Cook Shack, makers of smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience, whether you barbecue in the backyard, in the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility. Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job. And with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it's the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, smoking, grilling 101s, and a video cooking classroom. Check out their website at cookshack.com or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+. Get advice and share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. They still have one of those. Cookshack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion, Ed Fast Eddie Morton. The FEC 100, PG-1000, always customer favorites. The PG-1000 can actually double as a smoker and a grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Now, maybe you're not into the pellet stuff. I get it. Cook Shack manufactures electric smoker ovens, and they just happen to be the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack. 
passion and dedication drives Cook Shack's manufacturing with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. Call 800-423-0698 or visit the website cookshack.com. That's C-O-O-K-S-H-A-C-K, cookshack.com. And check them out. Pat LaFrieda, coming up right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers, just like the cook shack I was talking about. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase you can also purchase from Amazon.com as well. Don't forget to download the Cooking Pellets app. It's free. Why not? Great flavors there, too, by the way. All right, we are rejoined with Pat LaFrieda. Pat, thanks for hanging with me through the break there, partner. Um, My pleasure, brother. So, let's talk. I mean, we're not going to have enough time, so we're going to have to uh, uh, plan another visit uh, in due time here. But from a, a square footage perspective, uh, you were talking about how you just couldn't continue to exist in New York City, so you had to go out underneath the bridge to the sixth borough there. What kind of a size facility is Lafrida existing today? Well, we were about 5,000 square feet in New York City. To, and then we built our own facility, which is about 40,000 square feet wow. in New Jersey. And we will, by the end of this year, have a second facility, which is just two blocks of here, which will be well over 60,000 square feet. And we're going to keep both of these facilities operational. Wow. So 100,000 squares under roof there between two blocks, right? Yes. Wow. Yes, we. Uh, <laughs> it's too bad we couldn't get the neighbor's yeah. property, uh, but it wasn't for sale. Um, it would have been easier, but yeah, we'll be just be two blocks away from each other. Uh, but in order to to keep up with with uh, our demand and to keep going in stride, we you know you have to reinvest in your own company, and the only way for us to do that is to build from scratch and that's what's hard this is a usda facility which means that there's a a meat inspector in our building at all times that were operational and the government inspector has the ability to close the facility if there's something that's unsafe or there's a HACCP program that's not being followed or for a number of reasons so it adds a little bit of anxiety to our night um, I'll never complain about the USDA because it keeps our our industry industry safe. Uh, although it was something very difficult to overcome, the idea of a private building and some government agents <laughs> having the ability to have access to the building and yep. every part of the building, um, you know, it, it is, it's hard to overcome. But you know. It, they uh, are are truly remarkable for food safety, 
And if there's ever a meat product that has a circle, a circle with a number in that circle, an establishment number, mm-hmm. you can truly believe, and we all see it, right? Uh, your fans all see many different accolades listed on a, on a meat package. And, and, and it's so confusing. And, and you're right. We do need another, another several more uh, visits um, to this, to your podcast to, to explain some of these, but a retail butcher essentially can write in anything they want on the package. And there's, there's no governing power to say, Hey, that's inaccurate. When it comes to the USDA, it's the opposite. The USDA, anything that we write on our package, if we write all natural, the, we have to have all of the uh, evidence and all of the paperwork of the incoming product, where it came from, how it was raised, you know, the raising and finish, finishing protocols to make it all natural before we could put all natural on that package. And those labels need to be approved in Washington, D.C. before we can even think of putting that label on there. So in that regard, it does keep the meat industry from becoming the wild, wild west. So it's something that you can trust in when it comes to USDA facilities. The problem is retail butcher shops are not USDA inspected. They're state inspected. And there are many, many great retail butchers. And you just need to find the ones in your area and have great conversations with them and, and ask them the questions that you want to know. Where is my meat from? Um, is it domestic? Uh, what are the best cuts for my cooking method? You'd be surprised how many butchers want to have that conversation with their consumers because, you know, a, a very simple example would be beef stew. I want beef stew for the weekend. Great. How are you cooking it? Because very seldom is, is that conversation taking place. Yeah. And if you're braising it, then maybe we want to use something like boneless short ribs. If we're putting them on skewers in the barbecue, we want something more like a sirloin steak, something that's going to be just just grilled and, and eaten and, and, and would be very uh, tender, uh, as opposed to something that's, that's a braised meat. But they're both called beef stew. So what is beef stew? Just a cube of beef. Okay, so we need to get a little deeper, a little further into the cooking methods. And I think that mentality is something that I brought to to Lafrida Meats. And my father is the type of guy that when I started working with him, I was the lowest man on the totem pole. We were a very small company, but he wanted me to learn every aspect of the business. I'm talking about from sweating copper tubing or plumbing to <laughs> to cutting meat, to making deliveries, to to being the helper in the dry, uh, for the driver in making deliveries. And it was in that aspect that I got to visit restaurant chefs in their kitchens. And it's then when I got the education from restaurants, from the chefs themselves, to show me, hey, 
you see this piece of meat? This is not right for what I'm doing. Let me show you what I'm doing. And then I'd, I'd say, yeah, of course. It's not the right cut of meat. Like that veal scallopini. That's great. But no, that's not for the grill. Uh, we need to get you a chop. It's just things as simple as that. Uh, or asabuco on the grill was one of the oddest things in the very beginning. A chef, a French chef, complained to me that they were too tough because the translation of asabuco, which just means hole in the bone in Italian, mm. it didn't translate right in, into French. So <laughs> he was trying to make asabuco on the grill, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. <laughs> asabuco is a braising meat. And it, it was through that which led to things like Shake Shack. Shake Shack was a hot dog stand. It was hot dogs in the park, and we cannot make burgers here because we only have this flat top. And it was dissecting that flat top in the park, which was Shake Shack was only supposed to be a temporary pop-up. Hmm. Which is, And I don't like pop-ups because I don't like anything that's not permanent. I like, I, I, I like, I'm not saying I like to set it and forget it, but when I work hard on something, I want it to last for a long time. You don't like carnivals then, do you? <laughs> <laughs> the carnivals might be an exception. But I, I, I like to work on something like, like the U.S. Open, let's say. It's, it's going on right now. It's two and a half weeks of the best high it's the best natural high you could ever experience. It's over a billion dollars in sales in two and a half weeks, and wow. then it's all over. And you need to be there, and you need to make sure everything's going right. We've already had. <laughs> so we also supply to, let's say, Yankee Stadium and City Field. <laughs> I would say in in the first three days, we've had we've had as many problems as the entire season for the Mets and the Yankees combined. Right. Uh, just, I mean, not meat problems, just problems in general with, like, the computer systems going down and whatnot. But it's that kind of buzz that makes an urgency, which to me makes, takes your job to a new level. But, but back to knowing what a restaurant needs, I said, yeah, the burgers are not cooking well on this grill because if you feel around the grill, there were too many cold spots mm. and it, it was a flat top. Um, and when we took the top off, we could see that a couple of the burner burners were off. So we got these, I think they were a dollar 50 each. They were thermometers that were surface temperature thermometers. They laid flat like a disc, like a hockey puck. Yep. And we put them in all four corners <laughs> And that was the test to see if all, if it, you know, if you had um, heat that was constant throughout. So now, of course, they they have a completely different setup with um, uh, clean material, which which is a very solid temperature. But you'll always notice at a Shake Shack, they'll only put so many burgers on at once, mm. so they don't pull down. The, uh, the flat top. And it, it, it was really through conversations with chefs like that that led to you know, the success of, of, I think, of one of America's you know, greatest uh, restaurant expansions, which was 
Shake Shack. And you're kind of instrumental in not only the cooking aspect there, but actually coming up with the blend that Shake Shack uses, correct? Well, yes. I, I had to change the blend for for that. And it was one of the first blends that I worked on. I, I My grandfather always knew that in order to have consistency with burger flavor, you needed to use the same cuts of meat all the time. You could not just take mm-hmm. all the trimmings from whatever you were cutting that day and grind them, make burgers, and they were going to taste the same the next day. They, they don't. So what we do is we sell our trimmings to other companies. We have thousands of pounds of trimmings, but less and less because the industry as time goes on, becomes more and more um, efficient. So less and less waste makes it here. But we'll, we don't use trimmings in our in our, our blends. So they're specific whole cuts of meat mm. so that we know that if we put in four chucks into this blend and four briskets and four beef clods with the flat iron steak still attached, which is a big trick that uh, a lot of manufacturing but you know kill facilities try to take that flat iron off because it's so tasty but it's 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 a very important part of the grinding and hamburger uh flavor um that's the only way to keep burgers consistent so i'm blamed right now through the industry i'm sure through a lot of your listeners for the price of beef brisket as high as it is. Oh, that's your fault? <laughs> we, we use, well, I, it's my grandfather's fault, really. The buttery, the buttery fat in, that separates the two muscle groups in a brisket, the nose end, which is the fattier side, my favorite side, and the first cut of the brisket, has got a, butter, a buttery fat flavor that uh, you can't compare it to anything yeah. else. It's yeah. like... Yet my favorite steak is the outside skirt steak. It's it's got a, a, a mineral rock, semi calves liver f- flavor to it, which it may not sound so great, but it, it's the best way I could describe it. It's delicious. But but blindfolded, I could tell you that steak from any other steak mm. on the animal. So with brisket, you can tell if there's brisket in the blend or not, and um, and brisket. Uh, chuck beef clod, which is the shoulder of the chuck. The, the chuck is more of the top of the back. The clod is more of the the arm, mm-hmm. of the front arm. Um, and and chuck flap tail, which is boneless short rib. Those are the main ingredients into my grandfather's recipe. We knew we we needed to add some brisket to that flat top because the sear that the shack was trying to get at the time, we weren't able to get it with that, with that amount of heat. But then when we raised the fat content without raising fat, so we didn't take additional fat and add it in. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it would, it would work, but it's like putting butter cubes into a, <laughs> into a burger blend. It's just going to melt out. You need intramuscular fat. You need the fat that runs through the muscle grain so that, yes, you want some fat to cook out in the cooking process, but you also want some fat to stay in so the burger is moist. And um, 
I got to say, it's my grandfather's saying, and I've, I've repeated it a thousand times, you cannot hide your sins in the grinder. You just can't put anything you want in there and expect for purity to come out, uh, something that tastes good. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, Pat, and, let, me, um, let me ask you a yeah. quick question here before I turn you loose, and I appreciate the time. And uh, I'm going to expose myself as a, as a, as a potential uh, rube here. I've done that a number of times uh, with Stephen Reichlin here on the show, who's a barbecue Hall of Famer. Uh, when I told him that every once in a while I don't mind a boiled hot dog, and he said I belonged in the tenth circle of hell. Um, <laughs> for, I oh, that's all right. more, or, you know, for dinner today I had a double cheeseburger, and I used Bubba Burgers. I seem to like them quite a bit. And I put it on Instagram, and I get crap back from people going, oh, you do deserve to be in the 10th circle of hell. Bubba burgers are for losers, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That's anti-grilling and anti-barbecue. I mean, obviously there's levels to everything, but is there a place for everything, too? Well, of course there's a place for it. There, there is a market for everything, and I cannot speak to Bubba Burger um, because I, I really don't know much about them. It's a retail it's a retail brand that does very well. Right. Um, from what, from what I know, um, I think you're probably getting pushback. I assume because there's, um, mechanically the bone beef in it, which I think, <laughs> I, I, I think Texas outlawed the terminology pink slime. Pink slime but, yeah. But but pink slime really isn't something that's evil. It's it's really just taking the protein off of bones and texturing them so it's finely textured beef. You you might not get so you made a double burger and I'm assuming it wasn't that it wasn't that rare, right? It was kind of well done. Yeah, it was like medium. Oh well, you still had color. Yeah, just a little bit of pink. Okay. So if you were going to make an eight ounce burger that was thicker, or let's say a six ounce burger, a single burger, you might not have the same experience. Mm. But if you have, let's say you're working with something that's less expensive, uh, or and 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 uh, let's leave their name out of it because uh, I really don't know those folks, and I'm right. sure they're great great people. But let's just say you had a less expensive burger. Let's say, we'll call it a cafeteria burger. Yeah. If you know if you know what you're working with, and you know how to cook it, like New Zealand lamb, it's the worst lamb in the world. But there's a, most restaurants in New York City use it. Mm -hmm. They know that they're dealing with something that that is not very forgiving, meaning that it overcooks easily. So you just told me you made a double burger, and I often tell I often give the advice: if you're going to use something that's that you're not as sure about the quality. A double burger is great because even if it dries out, did you put a layer of cheese in between? Uh, maybe two layers. <laughs> okay, so there you go. Double cheese. So burger. now you're keeping. <laughs> so now you're keeping moisture between the two proteins, and I mean you can't ask for better than that. You, it's it's hard to mess that up. Yeah. So so let's say you wanted. Um, or you using a burger like that and you weren't really sure. I make burgers like that all the time as far as uh, we call them flat. So they're real flat. Yep. 
So we'll make uh, two four-ounce flats. I make them square just because we have that ability. And I'll put my one slice of, of American cheese in between and one on top. And they're the best my kids gobble them down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, if you, you know, and that, that goes a lot. And, and that brings up a great point. If you know what, what meat you're working with and you know its tendencies, then you, 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 you do alter the way you cook, uh, cook them. And you'll, you'll have, you'll have great outcomes. Um, yeah. When meat like that may be less forgiving, but if you know what you're doing, it'll be just fine. Pat LaFrieda is the CEO of Pat LaFrieda Meat Purveyors. Again, the website, LaFrieda.com or uh, follow Pat on Instagram, Pat LaFrieda. Pat, really appreciate the time, the look back, the history, and, uh, all the good information that you've given here tonight. Uh, but we'll, reconnect here for a bunch of other segments for sure man thanks for doing it very good my pleasure pal there he is pat lafrida right there all guests appear via the traeger grills hotline pat lafrida the flats that was pretty uh big name interviews cooking brisket and rib what the hell happened there Hold on a second. I got time for a read here, real quick. Ah, uh, where do we go? Traeger. That's right. You know him, you love him. Behind every great meal, there is a great grill. Not just any grill. A Traeger grill. Uh, barbecue like a pro, no matter what your level, thanks to the incredible wood fire taste. Seriously, you don't know flavor till you're cooking with it. Trigger Grills use all natural hardwood pellets as fuel, so you're literally cooking with flavor. From low and slow smoked ribs to a seared steak, even a baked apple pie, Traegers can handle it all, and the Traeger Timberline makes it even easier thanks to the Wi-Fi capability. You can check on your cooks, kick up temperatures, set custom cook cycles anytime, anywhere, all right on the phone through your Traeger app. In fact, I need to check in my brisket right now. I'm not cooking one right now. Find a local Traeger dealer or check them out online at TraegerGrills.com. Want to beef up your barbecue game? Hell yes, you do. Traeger Shop Class is going coast to coast, bringing barbecue knowledge and amazing wood-fired food everywhere they go. Taught by professional pitmasters, you'll take home all the skills you need to reach barbecue glory. Find a shop class near you. Sign up today at TraegerGrills.com slash shop class. Wrapping the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue, it's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. Thanks again, Pat Frida. Frida. Dot com, L-A-F-R-I-E-D-A.com. I'm telling you, I didn't get anywhere near where I wanted to get with him. I especially wanted to talk about dry aging and the availability of their dry age steaks for retail. You can get them 30 days, 50 days, and 70 days. Varying thicknesses, all the cuts that you want. I got my eyes on 70-day, one-and-a-half-inch thick ribeyes. I'm going to make it happen. What can I tell you? And when I say that, I mean I'm going to buy them. I'm not going to ask him for free steak. Dry aging is completely 
engulfed me at this point. I'm all about it. All right, let's step away real quick, reload for the second hour, some summary thoughts on Pat's visit, and uh, your questions, concerns, and comments. Stick around. We'll be right back.